Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, October 27, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports I Own College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And today we are continuing our run through previews of what are typically the seven best conferences in college basketball. We've already done the American, the ACC, the Big East, and the Big Ten. Next up is the Big 12, where Kansas is the official pick to win the league according to the league's head coaches. The Jayhawks got eight of the 10 first place votes. Texas got the other two. Worth noting, coaches are not allowed to vote for their own team. So that means Bill Self voted for Texas, which means only one coach besides Bill Self submitted a first place vote for somebody other than KU. Basically, everybody has those two first and second some order kansas and texas and i actually have texas first and kansas second but it's really close for me you know evidence being that i've got texas third in the top 25 and one kansas fourth in the top 25 and one like we noted on yesterday's pod that the big 10 race should be super tight at the top same goes for the big 12 i think you agree or disagree pretty close but i think the big 10's got a little bit of a better chance at having uh a more compelling race just because I think the third team, as I teased at the end of the Big Ten episode, I just like the Big Ten's chances at having a three-horse race a little bit better than the Big 12 here. I have Kansas ahead of Texas. I'm a little bit of a fader, a little bit, all relative on the Longhorns. I have them 10th in my overall rankings. You will look in GP's poll, preseason AP Top 25, you will look at the metrics, uh, some of them anyway, and you will see that the Longhorns are ranked uh, fairly high, although they are 14 at Ken Palm, which is even lower than I am on the Longhorns, and I would agree with that. I think that's that's fair, but at the top, this is going to be a very good league, and I think that's, I think, I think that's why this conference is going to maintain its status as a top two league in the country. Now, a lot of this is also because of the actual size of the conference. Only 10 teams. You don't have as uh, many op- as many non-conference opportunities to bring your league down. It's kind of a rising tide lifts all boats kind of situation. But I would expect Big Ten one, Big 12 number two in terms of hierarchy in the sport this season. So Kansas at the top, according to the Big 12 coaches, Jayhawks are returning four of the top five scores from last season's team that got a three seed in the NCAA tournament and then got blown out by USC in the round of 32, lost by 34 points. Basically, four double-digit scores back. Oche Abaji, uh, David McCormack, Jalen Wilson, and Christian Brown. And then they add, of course, Remy Martin, who averaged 19.1 points last season at Arizona State, and Joseph Yosefu, who averaged 12.8 points last season at Drake and was really good late so you know when you look at Kansas and what it's bringing back and what it's adding there's no denying that this is one of on paper best teams in the country and when you combine that with the fact that Bill Self never has anything other than a really good team um, it's easy to see why the coaches voted the way they did in 18 seasons at Kansas keeping track Bill Self has finished 
first or second in the Big 12, 17 times. He's won the Big 12 15 times, including 14 straight from 2005 to 2018. I do not think that will ever be replicated at the power conference level, period. Yes, I agree. I, I, I don't think that ever gets snapped at the power conference level. Uh, uh, and, and he's only so, – so 15 times he's uh, won the Big 12 in his 18 seasons, including 14 straight, only finished third once, never finished lower than third. And the other thing that makes Kansas a sensible pick, if you lean in that way – is Allen Fieldhouse will be rocking again. You know, it'll be a true home court advantage the way it is in normal non-pandemic years. Last season, I didn't think it was a coincidence that they suffered a 25-point loss at home to Texas, the worst loss for Bill um, ever inside Allen Fieldhouse. Why? What was different? Was the team that much worse? No, of course not. But you're just not going to go in there, 16,000 KU fans, and beat Kansas brains in like Texas did Last season, I remember that game. We kept thinking, okay, they'll make a run. They'll make a run. And they just never made a run. And it ended up being really, really lopsided. You can do that in Allen Fieldhouse, I guess, with a uh, limited capacity crowd. But when that thing is filled the way it's normally filled, and it should be this season, you're not going in there and beating them like that. And this season, you might not go in there and beat them at all. Anybody, period. Agree or disagree, Kansas is a quieter favorite than normal heading into this season. In the league, I, I agree with that, um, and I, I think the main explanation for it is that they've got really good players. Like I said, four double-digit scores back. Uh, Brian, you know, you can we can d- draw a line with Christian Brown if you want, but yeah. he averaged nine point seven points. So let's round it up to double digits. Yes, um, I think that the, the the thing that makes you go, I mean, this is a program that has had Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embiid. You know, is a real high-level NBA talent. Jeff Withy. I hear you. <laughs> and when you look at when you look at this roster, it's got a bunch of very good college players. Does it have a future NBA draft lottery pick? I don't think so. Mm, no. Does it have a future first round pick? I think it will. I th- Maybe. I th- I, th- I think that I think that Ochai Abaji will be that player. Was a thirty five percent career, thirty five percent shooter from three, fifty two from two. High level defender. I think that if Kansas is going to be what we think it can be, top five team in the country in that discussion, then inevitably, usually, you will have a player that will work his way into that first round discussion. I think Ochai will be that player. But you've hit on every player of note. The Remy Martin stuff is going to be what I would keep an eye on. Um, you mentioned he averaged 19 points per game last season. Um, 49% from two, good. 34% from three, okay. 76 from the line. A high usage player and pre like preseason Big 12 player of the year. I don't think he's going to – I think Agbaji is going to be the best player on the roster, so I don't know. We'll see on that. He is clearly the addition that makes Kansas the pick for people that, like me, that are picking Kansas – to finish first in the league and get all that. Um, but we'll, we'll see. Like I'm more, I'm intrigued by that, but I'm more intrigued about uh, Brown making a jump. Uh, Yosefu, how he does translating as an up transfer. Right. And then Jalen Wilson, who had moments last season, but was an inconsistent player, you know, made one. He of, started great. Did made one out of every three attempts from three. That's just okay. Was less than 50% from two-point range. That's just okay. He, I think we would both agree that Jalen Wilson cannot have a repeat of last season if Kansas wants to win the Big 12. Got to be better. 
and it's not just Christian Brown making a jump. He's just got to get back to making shots the way he's clearly capable of making shots. Like he shot 44% from three in his freshman season. And then that dropped down to 34% in his sophomore season. He's not a 34% shooter. And so I'm just going to assume let's split the difference on that. Take it up to 39%. Well, that's a different basketball player. And when you add, so now let's say he's shooting to his capabilities and you add Remy Martin, who is, I don't know, he's a non-shooter, but he's certainly not a great shooter. But what he is is a, is a, a great creator, playmaker, like in, in you know from the backcourt. And Kansas didn't have a lot of that last season. And so, you know, now you've got a real playmaker, and Brown is shooting the way he's capable of shooting. You got a team that I, I think, I mean, and and you know by definition where they're ranked in the preseason suggests that they're capable. But this is a team that can win a national title. Uh, question for you. This is a quote. Here's a quote. We can become omni-national and reposition because actually we are not tied culturally or physically. So we are actually are in a great position to leapfrog tech, end quote. Who said it? Succession's Kendall Roy or Texas's Chris Beard? <laughs> leapfrog <laughs> tech. I, I don't. Did you watch Sunday's episode yet of Succession? I have not seen it yet. I've watched episode one. Episode two on Sunday night, I was tied up with Grizzlies. Um, I wanted to make sure I watched first episode of Curb. Yes. Um, I just had a lot going on. So I have not seen episode two yet, but I'll catch it certainly at some point uh, this week. I'm going to assume Kendall Roy said it because I don't think Chris Beard would ever say that we can become omni-national and reposition it's it's part of just an absurd monologue that uh that he says at one part of that scene first episode of curbed no spoilers here uh there is there are two physical humor elements that larry david does in that episode and on the second one i actually woke my wife up because i was laughing so hard the second one that has to do with a sliding glass door. I actually, it was, it's stupid, but I just didn't see it coming. So I actually woke my wife up because it was that good. Decent start to curb. We'll see how it goes. Texas is the number two team for me. Number one for you. Uh, Parrish, it is an overload on this roster here. And the thing I'm curious about is, and I won't get too crazy deep on this because we will have a Longhorns dedicated episode, but I'll just say this. I I, I got to see it all work. I don't know. This, this is the roster in all of college basketball where you're like, are they actually only going to play eight dudes? Cause it feels like they can play at least 10. And if they wanted to go 11, it would be validated. This is the type of roster where by December, somebody who stayed is going to say, I wish I would have transferred. And somebody who transferred there is going to say, I wish I had gone somewhere else. Yeah. Cause there's just not enough minutes for all these guys. There's just not, um, you know, like you're Andrew Jones, Courtney Ramey, two returning accomplished guards and they bring in Marcus Carr, you know, like Marcus Carr's playing. Yeah. He's probably the best player on the roster, but how about this real quick? This stat dude, Marcus Carr, 43% from two, 34% from three. I don't know. He's not, and he is a high volume, high usage player. I don't know. I, I just want, I, I think he's going to be a potentially an all American. Cause I think he's probably going to be the most impactful player on this team, but I don't think this is going to work if Carr needs to needs to get up more than 15 shots a game, you know? 
I don't know, man. That, to me, this is Andrew Jones and Courtney Ramey's team. This is their team. They stayed. The, the other guys are joining them. And how they blend all together, I think, will dictate really how great this team can be. Well, here's the thing. I think in in theory, under normal circumstances, that might be right. Like, the transfers are going to have to learn how to, you know, mesh with the returning players who have established a culture of winning. This team, I know how it ended last season, but it was a good team last season. And, you know, they won the, the, the Big 12 tournament. But here's the deal. There's more transfers than there are returners. There's a new coach. And so I don't know that the new guys need to figure out how to blend in with the returners as much as this is, hey, let's get everybody in the gym. And now let's figure out who's going to play and who's not going to play. And nobody's guaranteed anything. And that's why I do think, like, if you're, I'd put a significant amount of money on Texas having a mid, at least one midseason transfer. Because, oh, how about this? Bring back Andrew Jones, Courtney Rain. You add five transfers who averaged double figures at their schools last season. And that doesn't even include Devin Askew, who's a former heralded recruit. So the five transfers, plus Jones and Ramey make seven. Devin Askew makes eight. Those are eight guys. I mean, Devin Askew just left Kentucky because he wasn't playing. Now he went. To, now he goes to Texas, and he's caught. He's caught in a. He's caught in a spot here. So, um, you know, listen, it's a good problem to have, and the reason I think, you know, Texas is a legitimate national title contender. The reason I did pick Texas to finish first in the Big Twelve is because I believe in Chris Beard and that staff. They'll figure this out. You know, again, they, they will have some hurt feelings issues at some point, but I don't think they're going to have many basketball issues. They've got, they've got a really, really talented roster. And Chris is the type of coach who I think is going to be able to bring it together just fine. So you would say there's a top three vying for uh, first place in this league and, you know, final four national championship status, Baylor being the third. I have Baylor as a preseason top 15 team. I just think that there will be a, uh, just a little line of demarcation there. But I will say this. You mentioned Texas with all the transfers. We mentioned Remy Martin transfer, preseason Big 12 player of the year per the league vote. I think the most impactful transfer in terms of a singular person who is going to be the difference maker um, between what the team would be and wouldn't be if he wasn't there will be James Akinjo at Baylor. Uh, Adam Flagler and Akinjo are probably Baylor's two best. Flagler was a nine-point-a-game guy a season ago, shot 43% from three, and um, in talking to the Baylor staff, I don't know, maybe like almost a month ago, at that point, feeling was like Flagler, Flagler could certainly be on that ascension where he's the most important player on the roster. Akinjo, though, was uh, a 15-5 and five guy, five being the assists, on 41% from three-point range, and Weirdly enough, he was worse from inside the three-point arc last year. He shot 36% from, from two-point range, 41% from three. If he can get better there, then I think Akinjo will be a huge difference maker. Matthew Meyer, obviously, also uh, being important because he's the best pro, pro prospect left on the roster at this point. Although freshman Kendall Brown is also really, really good and I think will be a lot of fun to watch there. Haven't even gotten to everyone, but I say Baylor's number three, and I say that even with the knowledge that on Monday... Um, Langston Love, former four-star prospect in class of 2021, tours ACL. He'll miss the season, GP. Um, I don't think that knocks Baylor down a peg, but it is a talented freshman that they will not have available to him, and so we need to take that into account, too, when assessing this team. You're drawing a big line between no. Texas, Kansas. It's like a number two pencil. Baylor. Number two pencil. No Sharpie, no, no pens, no nothing. 
This feels like a thick marker you've drawn. No thick. No. I, I have Baylor in my preseason top 10, ninth, just a few spots behind Kansas and, and Texas. Norlander had him 14th in his 1 to 358 and thinks they're a level below the Longhorns and Jayhawks. And that is. Here we go. That's, that's the most disrespectful thing I've ever heard. It is, it's disrespectful, obviously, to Scott Drew, I've who, just, who just won a national championship at a place where national championships seemed impossible on the day that he took the job. It's disrespectful to Kelly Drew, mm. first lady of Baylor basketball. It's disrespectful to McKenzie and Peyton and Brody. Not to mention Homer and Janet, Bryce and Tara. Dana this is Bryce, and I don't care. Bryce does care. He's just putting on a show. Disrespectful to Dana and her, her husband, Casey, little Bryce and Anna, Isaiah, Caleb, and Luke. Plus Drew Marymore, Drew Carey, Drew Brees, Drew Bledsoe, Dr. Drew, Drew Gooden, and Drew McIntyre. It's disrespectful basically to every Drew except Drew Timmy. <laughs> except Drew Timmy. I missed the dog in there. Do we have the dog name? Dude, I had to go back through my reverted files <laughs> to find this. I was back in February 2021, reverted podcast files. Like I, I spent 20 minutes today looking for that. I love it. And I didn't see the dog. Oh, okay. I didn't know if I caught it. Someone, here's the thing. Here's why our listeners are tremendous. Someone's going to find the name of that damn dog, and they're going to let us know. Loud and clear. We're not that off. I missed that, though, by the way. Um, so thank you. I don't think we're that far apart on Baylor. Um, But at a certain point, like, when do you go from preseason national title contender in the overall rankings to not? And I would put Texas there and write about that line around, you know, 10, 11, 12. I think it's when it starts to flip a little. And I don't anticipate that Baylor will be repeating as national champion. And I don't think that when we get to the start of the 2022 NCAA tournament, no offense to the Drews. Every Drew that's ever lived, the Drew family, the Drew family dog, all of that. No offense. I just don't think we're going to be talking about Baylor as one of the 10 or 11 most likely national champions in 2022. I like this roster. You know, when I started looking at it earlier today in in more detail, I'm with you on Akinjo. He's a difference maker. He's come a long way since Jim Boeheim trashed him. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. That's you right. forgot about that? Oh, my gosh. Totally. He, Jim Boeheim's trashing everyone. I mean, he just did it again. Jalen Johnson, right? And uh, Kadari Richmond, who went to Seton Hall. He just can't stop. Like, he just cannot stop. But he is – he's a little streaky. But I do like his upside. And, man, if he can gel with Flagler, then, yeah, that's going to be huge. Okay, yeah. So Akinjo Flagger, Matthew Meyer is a he's an NBA player, I think. Jonathan Chamachachua. Yeah, I just love saying that name. LJ Cryer still there. Fothamba is still there. Kendall Brown's a five star freshman, six eight wing. So you've got a really nice starting lineup, and I agree with you about Langston Love. I hated to see that. You never want to see a, a a young person. You know, particularly a young person who's joining a program like Baylor, but any young person, suffer a season-ending injury before the season even starts, before his college career can even start. Just awful. Um, but I, I don't think – will they miss him? Sure. Does he make me reconsider what I think of Baylor, his absence? No. Um, so this is a Baylor team that, yeah, just like just like you, I've got them third in the Big 12, but they're fourth preseason at Ken Palm, fourth in the country preseason – at Ken Palm. Wow. Take it for what it's worth, yeah. but that is where they are. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, I, 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 I could see them competing with Kansas and Texas 
for a Big 12 title. And do you realize they won the league last season? Four games? Five games, actually. Like, they ran away from that thing in a, in a way that you're just not supposed to be able to do in a league that is this good um, year after year after year. It's, it's a, a reminder of how awesome Davion Mitchell who, who, by the way, is balling out in the NBA and, and, and creating off nights in that league, just like he did for Big 12 players um, last season. It's, it's a reminder of how awesome Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, Mark Vidal, Macy Teague were. Baylor, undeniably, has lost a lot, four starters, but it's a testament to, to what Scott and his staff have done to be able to – that program's still in, in, in really, really good shape, and I suspect that uh, they'll be on the national radar this season as well. So after Kansas, Texas, Baylor, the league gets interesting with some combination of Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, probably West Virginia. We'll talk about the rest of the Big 12 next. First, though, check this out. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, Deadleg, uh, we agree Kansas, Texas, and Baylor should be one, two, three in some order at the top of the Big 12. Where do you go after that? Here's my order. Uh, we can bounce around and talk about these teams. I go Oklahoma State at four, Texas Tech at five, West Virginia at six. As a reminder, last season, West Virginia tied with Kansas and Texas in the loss column, five games behind BU. They all had six losses in league play. Um and then after that, I go yeah, West Virginia, Oklahoma, K-State, TCU, Iowa State, and I'll scoot back up the ladder the reverse way. Iowa State, TJ Otzelberger takes over. They are, if not universally considered to be the lowest team in the league, it's just about close to that. This is just a rebuild there. I know ISU fans are just incredibly eager to get back to a point where you're relevant and expecting NCAA tournament bids on an annual basis. I think it's going to take at least two full seasons to get back to that spot. TCU and K-State, I wouldn't expect to be in the NCAA tournament conversation. I think this is, again, going to be a year with the Big 12 where you've got kind of seven relevant teams, three at the bottom. TCU, the bright spot is Mike Miles, who will probably be a top 20 sophomore in the sport. Shout out to Kyle Boone, who made sure this is a little tease. Yeah, he made sure that uh, Mr. Miles wound up on the very back end of our top 101 players list. Emmanuel Miller's there, and then they get Texas Tech transfer Micah Peavy at TCU. I'm just not seeing a ton there. K-State returns almost 73% of its roster. 
from a 9-20 team that finished 147 at Ken Palm. I'd say this is a hot seat season for Bruce Weber, and if this goes the way that I'm projecting it will be going, then we will have a new coach in the Little Apple by the middle of April. Um, I've got other thoughts on other teams, but I don't want to hog the mic here. Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, Oklahoma. Um, That's my order. What are your thoughts on those four? First off, I'm in no position to complain about somebody hogging the mic. I do it often. I was being meta with that, but yes. I think you're right about Bruce. And it's not like two seasons ago, three seasons ago, 2018-19, they are one of the teams that snaps KU's string of Big 12 titles. Um, you know, They finished 14-4 and in the league, uh, tied for first, and made the NCAA tournament, got bounced in that first round. Trivia time? Okay, go ahead. Do you remember who bounced Kansas State in the first round? Ah, oh, man. No, I don't. Is it, is it something like tied to the pod where I should know it off the top of my head? Not really. The only reason I know it is because one of my coworkers at CBS Sports Network, the great Brent Stover, who doubles as a country music star, he is a Kansas State alum. He used to be a competitive jogger at Kansas State. They call it cross-country, technically. Mm-hmm. He was a competitive jogger at, at Kansas State. And I remember all week leading up to that game talking about how Kansas State should be on upset alert. Mm-hmm. And then, by golly, it happened on Friday, March 22nd, 2019. After winning the Big 12, the Wildcats lost two. I don't even think I can venture a guess that would be remotely close. What if I told you the name of the coach? Then I'm going to get Turner. Then it's UC Irvine. The Ant Eaters. Ant Eaters. There we go. Man, I don't even listen. I pride myself on my my memory and my NCAA tournament related memory. I'm pulling a GP here. Zero recognition and recall to UC Irvine and Kansas State playing in that NCAA tournament. Zero. Don't the only me. reason I remember it is because I, I would not stop talking about it to Stover. Every time we'd preview that game, I'd be like, this is just a bad matchup for Kansas State. I know they're the reigning Big 12 co-champions, but you don't want to get involved with the anteaters on this stage. I think I thought I said more like I had some numbers and stuff connected to it. but I just kept saying it over to, and then it, it happened. So like that, that's the type of loss that makes your fans forget about the everything that happened before. Oh, you know who just went through it last season? Shaka Smart at Texas. Mm-hmm. You take a loss like that in the NCAA tournament, your fans forget about everything that just happened. Instead of feeling great about the season, they feel awful about the season. And then everything that's happened at Kansas State since then has been awful. Uh, three and fifteen in the Big Twelve in 2019-20, finished last place. Last season, four and fourteen in the league, finished ninth place. And there's no great reason to think this season's going to be much better, if better at all. And I say this as respectfully as I can say it because i got a lot of respect for Bruce Weber. I like him a lot, but I'm not sure Kansas State's fan base is going to tolerate a third straight super bad season. I don't see it. And as we enter the season, that's the only coach in the hot seat, in my opinion, in this league. I know TCU fans want to be better under Jamie Dixon, and that's kind of stalling in the mud at the moment. But otherwise, um, you've got three coaches in new spots. Iowa State with Otzelberger, Porter Moser at Oklahoma, and Mark Adams at Texas Tech. So I went Texas-Kansas-Baylor and then Texas Tech four, Oklahoma State five, 
when you see our Big 12 preview on CBSSports.com, that that is what you'll see. Um, my ballot represent. I'm really torn between Oklahoma State and Texas Tech because Oklahoma State, like they bring back everybody except Cade, and they enrolled two five stars, two former five star players in Bryce Thompson uh, from Kansas and Musa Cisse from Memphis. And, you know, they beat some people last season without Cade playing. Yeah. Mike Boynton's going to have, a, I think, a, 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 I never say sure bet NCAA tournament team because, like, top 10 teams sometimes don't make the NCAA tournament. Injuries, whatever. But on paper, that looks like a team that should not have to worry about bubble stuff come Selection Sunday. That, I, you know, I, I think it's fair to say Moose and Bryce both. Little underwhelming as five-star freshmen. I mean, Bryce was injured and like yeah. barely played. Musa was the freshman of the year in the American Athletic Conference, and he was a starter and a meaningful player, but he's just so limited in what he can do. That's like, right. Penny couldn't play him much because, you know, he can't, he can't guard in space, can't, can't catch the ball. I'm not even trying to be funny. Like, he just he struggles catching the ball. And when he does catch it and he gets fouled, you can't make a free throw. And so it just got into a, a spot where in late game situations, they could not have him on the court. That doesn't mean he's not useful. Um, he is a rim protector. And, you know, if, if you throw it up there, he'll go get it and dunk it. But he's a, he's a limited, he's a physically gifted human who is limited from a basketball perspective. But that does not mean I don't think he'll be a useful player at Oklahoma State. He was a useful player at Memphis, just a very limited player at Memphis. He'll he'll have a defined role, and he'll be used to that role. Oklahoma State brings back more than 80% of its roster. You know, clearly it loses Kate Cunningham, who everyone knows is there. And everybody knows Kate Cunningham. Before he was at Oklahoma State, he was at Montverde. We all know that. And so... (laughs) But here's the deal. Avery Anderson, probably the best player on this roster, 12-4 and four guy last season. I think he will be the guy in this conference who was there last season when we look up and start talking about who are the difference makers in the league. Like, first team all, Big 12, good shot. He should make the pop. But I'll tell you what, the reason why I like this team so much, and I actually think there's a little bit of a gap, the gap between Oklahoma State and Texas Tech, to me, is bigger than the gap between, say, Texas and Baylor because Caleb Boone, you know, a, a nine and five guy whose numbers will get better. Isaac likely does a little bit of everything. Nine, six, and four a year ago. Um, Matthew Alexander Moncrief is going to have a good year. Bryce Thompson, if he can stay healthy, he, they're going to need him to be what he can be capable of from a shooting and playmaking perspective. And then sophomore Rondell Walker, he might even be the biggest breakout candidate. Uh, he's going to have a lot more opportunity. Keep an eye on him. I think that's a player that'll. Um, grow as the season goes along. Oh, and one more thing with OSU. This program still does not have its decision with its appeal to its postseason ban. And that that's is... Inc- that's incredible. It's Go insane ahead. and stupid. It's a sign of high incompetence. That's coming this season. That could come, I think, in the next... I'm not saying it will. I'm not reporting this. If you tell me it's coming in the next month, I'd believe it. And then we get into the whole conundrum of, like, is OSU going to get banned uh, for 2022 after the season has started... Just keep that in mind. It's another plot line behind that team in general. But it was like last January, February, we were going, man, at this point, I don't think it'd be fair or right or smart for the NCAA to deny their appeal. Like, deny it someday if you want, you know, whatever. But, like, don't deny it before the 2021 NCAA tournament. Like, let's have Kay Cunningham in this thing. It's almost November. 
I mean, what, how hard is it to rule on an appeal? Can't you just say um, uh, granted or uh, or rejected? It's a joke, I feel, man. Like, I feel like death row appeals don't take this long. <laughs> You're not wrong, man. It's insane. I feel like you find out whether you get to live or die on death row more quickly than you can find out. I think the lesson is if you're on death row, you'd actually prefer to have the NCAA ruling over your case here because they might just take forever. I'll just take that deal instead. You you just die of old age at 89. You take that trade off instantly there. So we're waiting on that. Although, by the way, you know, of course, Kansas waiting. But Kansas, I don't expect with the IARP, I don't expect Kansas to have a ruling before the end of the season. Oklahoma State, I very, very much do. So I put OSU there and then Texas Tech right below. Um, We'll see how Mark Adams is going to do, GP. He was the face of the defense. Uh, You know, I made this comparison in my 1-358, to although uh, Chris Beard and Mark Adams got along much better than Mike Ditka, Buddy Ryan did on the 85 Bears. You're damn right I'm invoking a Bears reference here. But whereas Buddy Ryan was in charge of solely the defense on that Bears team, and that's what made the Chicago Bears of the mid-'80s so great, Adams was similar with the way that he approached Texas Tech's defensive unit, and he had uh, a lot to do with how great Texas Tech was. It wasn't all Chris Beard. They get Terrence Shannon Jr. back. That's big. Kevin McCuller back. That's another double-digit score. Marco Santos Silva. He was really a top 20 rebounder in America when you look at the the rebound rates from last season. So they're back. They lost some key pieces, but they bring in Kevin O'Banner from Oral Roberts, who was an 18-9 guy. And because Max Asmus led the nation in scoring and was a, a big-time points producer, oh, oh by the way, O'Banner shot 46% from three as a stretch forward, and he was an 87.5% foul shooter. So you got him, Bryson Williams from UTEP, 15-7 and seven guy. Uh, Malik Wilson from Louisiana, averaged 13 points, 5.5 boards, 3 assists, and 2 steals. So there's actually dudes on this roster. You're going to probably wind up being closer than I am on this because I got Texas Tech right around that 40 range. They're probably going to outperform where I've got them, but I just want to see what they do with the new coach there. So I got those two schools ahead of the likes of West Virginia and Oklahoma. Yeah, like, you know, the, the, they lose some pieces, like you said. Two of the top four, that's Matt McClung and Tyler Edwards. They also lose Chris Beard. Um, they've got a new coach. I believe Mark Adams is going to be able to do this job well. Um, but, you know, like I've said about other assistant coaches who are promoted, you know, you, you, you never know for sure. Um, but, but I'm optimistic. That's why I have them finishing fourth in the, in, in the Big 12. Um, so they return four of the top six. And when you've got a core of Terrence Shannon, Kevin McCuller, uh, Marcus Santasilva and Kevin O'Banner. That's a pretty good core for a college yeah. basketball team. And O'Banner, it wasn't just like empty stats either. Like, yeah, he he was nineteen. He was eighteen point seven points, nine point six rebounds per game for the season. He put thirty on Ohio State in a win in the NCAA. He put twenty eight mm-hmm. on Florida in the NCAA tournament. And that forty six point three. Sometimes these three point percentages for you know, front court players can be misleading because it's like, ooh, he made 46% of like, you know, one per game. He took 4.3 per game. Like he's a real shooter and that free throw percentage underlines it. So I like this Texas Tech team. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm torn between Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, 4-5. But to me, it is clearly those two, four, five, and then we can start talking about everybody else. Yeah. Final two we'll, n- we'll nibble on here but as we get out is West Virginia, Oklahoma, I, I think they're basically interchangeable. Huggins enters what's going to be his 40th season with 900 wins to his name. He's got Taz Sherman and Sean McNeil. They'll probably combine for like 28, 29 a game. They're the one-two there. Good. Jalen Bridges needs to be a breakout player as a sophomore. Um, we'll see. Oklahoma with Porter Moser, he was the hot name 
uh, multiple times, and this is where he lands. Keeps Emoja Gibson and Elijah Harkless on the roster, which is what I think will put the Sooners in the tournament conversation right near the bubble cut line. Getting those guys back was huge. Also got the Groves brothers. Remember, Tanner was the lovable big dude who almost helped knock out Kansas in the first round. He was the Big Sky Player of the Year, 17-8 and eight guy. Um, Scott's younger brother, Jake, up there. They also bring in Duke transfer Jordan Goldwire, who I think will just help stiffen up the defense. Like... Moser had a way of really developing a very, very good defensive unit at the mid-major level. I think Oklahoma, if it's going to be a tournament team, has got to be a top-four defense in the Big 12 in year one. I think they'll have a good chance. But because you got a coaching change in there and not quite as much roster continuity, I'll go WVU at, at six, Oklahoma at seven. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to trust Bob Huggins. Uh, you know, when they, they had Deuce McBride on the fence for a little while, is he – Stay in? Is he going? I I I think I always had it projected in the top twenty-five and one, or at least at some point before he officially announced, I projected I yes. that he was that he was going to go, and you know he went, and that's a big blow. I Huge. think West Virginia with him back is preseason top twenty-five, and West Virginia without him back is probably you know at least on paper at best sixth in the Big Twelve. Now that doesn't mean you can't be in the NCAA tournament, but uh, losing a player of that caliber who is very much a could stay, could could reasonably stay, could reasonably go. Like I, the reason I frame it, phrase it like that is because, uh, you know, like with Kate Cunningham, there is no choice. You know, it's not like he could reasonably stay or go. Like he's got to go. He's the number one pick in the draft. But with a guy like Deuce McBride, you know, you, you, you can reasonably make either decision. And he, when he decided to go, it lowered the ceiling on what West Virginia can and will be. Uh, I I agree. His his leaving, um, had he returned, I think he would have been a top 10 player in America, and West Virginia would have been, at worst, the fourth best team in the Big 12. But he's not there, and we'll see what they can do with those uh, with those two otherwise. I'll be, I'll be interested to see. To me, West Virginia is the most mysterious team in the conference this season. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Tristan Clark. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you, guys. And gals for listening once again to the Ion College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate it. It really does help when you do that. Like it, it, uh, it helps in a variety of ways. So please go subscribe if you're not subscribed. And while you're there, rate it, review it, five stars, nice comments. You do that. We'll talk to you again real soon. Tomorrow, in fact. Till then, take care. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.